There you are, and here I am, your host, Kevin Pollack, for another very special episode of my Mrs. Maisel pod. Yeah, we have um, one of the department heads for you today, um, and um, Donna Zakowska, Zakowska, she uh, uh, helps me and you to pronounce her name, Zakowska. Um, not at all how it's spelled, really. Um, it comes up pretty early in our conversation. Thankfully, we speak about so many other things. Um, she is the uh, wardrobe designer, the, the, the goddess of costume. She, you've heard her talked about on the show, mostly as Donna. Um, people are afraid to try to pronounce her last name. You can hear it in my uh, foolish efforts. Um, yeah, so our clothes were built, and I will tell you, as uh, I guess I have in other episodes, um, this is a rarity in, in my experience in television and film. They, they do not build a lot of cast members' clothes, and certainly when they get down to my character uh, in the TV or film. They are, are pulling things from stores, if it's contemporary, or they're pulling things from um, the, the great w wardrobe warehouses that exist for period clothing. Donna would uh, start each season by having each of us come in and do fittings and, um, and, you know, and then try on things as you go. But they were, they, she and her team built our clothing. Uh, yeah. And she is um, just extraordinary. So she wrote this one-of-a-kind book, um, still available out there. I have a, um, a signed copy from her for one of you. And um, I'll tell you at the end of the program how you can, um, uh, well, let's say enter a contest to, to win this autographed book. So, yes, stay tuned. I'll also be reading one of your emails. But here, now, my conversation. Oh, did I mention you should write to me at mrsmazepod at gmail.com? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ask more questions about the signed book. And uh, as, we, as I discussed in the previous episode, record a comment or question. You got a voice memo app on your phone if you have an iPhone or there's other ways. Record a question, minute or less, if possible. And, and email it to me at mymrsmaisalpod at gmail.com so that I can play your question on the show uh, and answer it. Yeah. Here now, my conversation with Donna. And now, ladies and Jews, please welcome <laughs> Donna Zakowska. Am I saying that correctly? Yes. Great. Well, the W is really like a V. It's Zukovska. Zukovska. Okay. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that much more. It's funny when you work with someone for six years, you just refer to them as their first name. Of course, I knew yes. your last name, yeah, but yeah, I never yeah. stopped to say, am I saying this right? So thank you for that, Zukovska. Mm -hmm. um, and where are your people from with that name? Is that a Russian, Polish? Uh, it's uh, Polish. Uh -huh. and, uh, my mother was Italian, so quite oh. a New York mix of everything. Yeah, yeah. A, a nice bullion base you got going there. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, well, thank you, uh, first and foremost, for taking some time out. We are still in the process of shooting the final season. And so there is a um, an overload of work for mm -hmm. you 
at present. So this was a, a big ask and, a, and a, I'm very grateful that you uh, could find a bit of time. So when I was putting together some notes mm -hmm. of what I wanted to talk to you about, I was going to break down a whole bunch of episodes and looks and things. Mm -hmm. But then I realized, I think all of that mm -hmm. is in a magical book mm -hmm. uh, that you put out last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, during, the, during the pandemic, I wrote it basically. Madly marvelous. It's called The Costumes of the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Now, first of all, this book is so exceptional and beautiful and and stunning. I cannot believe you you put this book together in under a year. That seems mm -hmm. like an impossibility. So how how the hell did that happen? Uh, well, I I did work with my partner Roman Pasca mm -hmm. on it. Uh, I mean, the two of us during um, the lockdown, because interestingly enough, uh, we didn't really get a lot of assistance from the publishing house. You know, it was right. everything was broken up. Everyone was away with pandemic. We had one meeting and then the pandemic hit. Wow. And then that was it. We, you know, we, we had some uh, phone calls or a, a Zoom or two. Uh, but, you know, basically, you know, we're both um, very good researchers. You know, we both went to um, I went to Barnard, Roman went to Columbia University, and we both sort of are very good at sort of collecting research, putting it together, yeah. um, you know, creating, and then also creating the art for it. What was important for me about the book was to have in it a lot of things that you couldn't get on the internet, like yes. a lot of sketches and yeah. uh, a lot of the photos or things that I took, uh, personal photos that I took during the project. Um, but it, I'm not going to diminish the fact that it was a massive amount of work. I can't. Really, I can't. And they gave us a deadline. So, you know, being yeah. like a diligent student that I am, I assumed I had to meet the deadline, you know. And sure. uh, it was pretty wild. It was, it was hard. It was really hard. Yeah, it is a page turner as any book I've ever read, first of all. So okay. in terms of storytelling... Congratulations. Mm -hmm. A beautiful forward by our Amy Sherman Palladino. Mm -hmm. um, your introduction gives a great deal of, of lovely background. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Vinegar Hill, Brooklyn. Right. <laughs> I'm going to need to know a little bit more about Vinegar Hill. Um, well, Vinegar Hill is on the edge of Dumbo. Okay. And it was, you know, I think when my parents were growing up there, I mean, I'm I, the, I talk about the house that I uh, you yeah. know, uh, lived in. Uh, I, it was a third, I'm the third generation, you know, owning that house. And Incredible. it started with my grandfather who was a New York builder. Right. Uh, and so it really, Vinegar Hill is like a very special little enclave um, of which there's still some buildings left and it's actually uh, has historical, um, you know, uh, designation at the moment. Yeah, you know, and so um, it was originally one of the oldest Irish neighborhoods mm. in, uh, you know, New York. I think when you see, um, you know, the Martin Scorsese film about New York, they always at the end end up looking out at the city, and what really what they're talking about is that neighborhood of yeah. Dumbo and Vinegar Hill, and so it's very historical, but it's very small, and it was a very isolated place to grow up, to tell you the truth. Uh, wasn't really like a lot of, wasn't like a big neighborhood in a way. And then it was also on the edge of the Brooklyn Navy Yard, ironically, yeah. really right on the 
edge of the Brooklyn Navy Yard where I, you know, that's what is so special about doing Mrs. Maisel. It's really a little bit like returning to the world and the neighborhood that I uh, grew up in. Right. Um, Our standard studios, in fact, in the yeah, same yeah, Naval exactly. Yard. Yeah. It's a sort of amazing facility and uh, the way it's been sort of transformed, it's been really significant for film in New York to have yeah. that facility and to have the studio. Uh, so that's where I grew up in a, um, you know, sort of 1850, you know, uh, building that had, you know, been there for quite a long time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's, a, you know, with grandmother and fascinating as it turns out, as is every page of the stunning book. Um, and just an in-depth exploration, truly, which is mm -hmm. always great. And so all the research uh, that you and Roman love so very much just shines all the way through. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I uh, would like to just jump in. Let's see. Mm, you know, actually, the first thing I want to say is the truth is whoever's listening to this episode, because you are my guest, if you don't already own a copy of this gorgeous book of visual arts and the wardrobe of the show, as well as insights into the designs that she created in Donna's, beautifully articulated points of view stop listening to this right now that's right pause my yammering and give yourself the joy of obtaining a copy of this very book at this very moment i'm going to give you a moment to do that okay welcome back um welcome back the the smartest of you who shut me up and bought the book um yeah because it really it, it it's it's just uh an absolute um joy and, and a, a great celebration mm. of the show itself and one of the thing that people always talk about when they stop me wherever in the world mm. with our worldwide uh fans they want to talk about the the wardrobe they want to talk about the costumes they they are forever fascinated um so first you go through something beautiful called the madly marvelous paint box which i thought was just kind of genius i hadn't seen anything like it um talk to me a little bit about the paint box because this was your first love i feel the the, mm. the drawings and the and the working with the visual arts well i think you know i you know had a fine arts training right in fact you know my i first learned about color and paint when i was about five years old what? You know, I, I had a teacher who was obsessive about art and she actually taught me how to mix colors, you know, in kindergarten actually. And, you know, really, you know, <sighs> sort of created that sort of intense love that I have of paint and color and um, sort of, you know, the intensity that color has. And so I think, you know, through the entirety of doing Mrs. Maisel, I think in a way, you know, combining that, I also had a dance background. Yeah. And with Amy's dance background, the rhythm of the color really became sort of a, you know, sort of a choreography for me. Sure. And, you know, starting with, uh, you know, the color pink and starting with the pink coat, you know, it was somehow the way people responded was sort of it amazed me, actually, you know. Yeah. People became obsessed, and then I, on the internet, people were running around in these pink coats. Halloween in New York, I saw little girls with the pink coats and things. Uh, yeah. And so you know, you really I tuned tuned in pretty quickly 
to how important the color was going to be in Mrs. Maisel. Oh, my and goodness, yes. Really going to be a vocabulary for me, um, you know, to sort of describe what I consider more of the mental landscape or the emotional landscape of the characters and the yeah. various worlds, you know, and uh, uh, it really, you know, it was exciting for me to do that and, and to just to fully really just throw myself into it completely. Yeah. And you shared these, um, well, so very much, but also there are all these various variations, uh, rather, of the different colors uh, in dress form. Two pages are of this layout of all these. I mean, it's just spectacular. And then all the, um, you know, the inner workings of your studio. Mm -hmm. You you shine a light and show some some. Uh, some you in your uh, uh, office there at Stanner Studios, where I've enjoyed many a wardrobe fitting. Mm -hmm. um, so folks get a chance to see that. And then what appears to there's a shot of Rachel holding up a sign that has her name on it. So I'm assuming this was some sort of test before shortly after she was hired or, or maybe before. She, I mean, I. Yeah, I think it was really early on in the process. Yeah, it probably is all the pilot. Yes. So it sort of, you know, there was sort of this moment where, you know, I didn't know Amy that well, where we were really consciously taking, you know, lots of photos and things and um, right. just trying to get the silhouette right, you know, who was, you know, really trying to discover the character and who she was. Um, I mean, and luckily, for whatever reason, Rachel and I, from the very beginning, were really like on the same page, you know, it was yeah. almost like um i mean and this is true the whole cast was really wonderful but it was sort of a very seamless just like a, you know involvement in thinking about the character and how to express it and somehow we just developed that sort of synchronicity um from the beginning it was amazing in a way you know starting with the wedding dress starting with the wedding dress yeah and that's um and that amazing wedding scene and that was so wonderful, you know. Really yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, you I know, talked that, to Bill Groom about that as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but the wedding dress as the centerpiece, mm -hmm. it's so much time and care and people's lives and marriages that maybe didn't survive mm -hmm. the talk of the wedding dress. So you, mm -hmm. uh, were there several versions that were tried before you settled on the one that's in the pilot? Um, no, actually not. I mean, it, there's no question that there were two dresses that were influenced by Audrey Hepburn, and this was one of them. Mm -hmm. The little bit the wedding dress at the end of Funny Face. It was slightly transformed, but you know, throughout the project, there were certain characters like Audrey Hepburn, Grace Kelly, uh, certain people that I would often look at, who yeah. uh, just somehow captured that very special ethereal essence uh, of 57, 58, 59. Um, so the wedding dress a little bit came from Funny Face, which was, you know, a film that I, again, probably began watching at six or seven and became obsessed, you know, with and Audrey Hepburn and oh, that of course. Whole amazing scene, you know. And so it's funny, I think sometimes, I think all of these things are somehow implanted in your brain in childhood, you know, you're love and your passions 
And then when you have a project like Mrs. Maisel, it, it like gives you the opportunity for these things to then surface and become a part of, you know, uh, the work basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the visual design yeah. of, of the show mm-hmm. um, has overtaken the brilliant writing in, in many people's minds in terms of why this show is so special. Mm-hmm. Um, I just came across this photo um, with Mr. Sewell and Luke Kirby and Zegan mm-hmm. in very early stages of yes. trying on wardrobe. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Among a million ties and a million... Uh, you know, that's spectacular and warm. All right, back to the pilot. A Rose and Abe in their home. Um, it's the first time in the show we see them at home after the wedding. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and very specific choices. You know, we're getting to know these people, uh, those early decisions. Yes, yes. Um well, you know, uh, both of those characters had a real arc. Yes. Oh, yes. And when we began with Rose, and I have her in that Chanel suit, mm-hmm. um, you know, she was very much the sort of much more prim, Upper East Side Jewish mother, you know, completely worried about her granddaughter and is she going to be beautiful? And so there was much, you know, a tighter silhouette and much. Um, more classic Upper East Side, I mean, well, I should say, uh, sorry, Upper West Side feeling mm-hmm. to yeah. how she, you know, I portrayed her. And, and then as we see in season two, uh, you know, she launched off into a whole other, whole other image. And it's a little bit the same, although it came a bit later with Abe, you know, his professorial, uh, like I really kept the sort of brown palette for him uh, because I wanted to have a little bit of a throwback to the 40s, a little bit of a retro feeling to mm-hmm. his look, an academic retro. Um, you know, and there we see him grow a little bit, not quite as evident, uh, because in a way, in women's clothing, you could really show great changes. Yeah. It's a, much more subtle with men's clothing. Really. Still a great way to establish this character who maybe is holding on to the past a little tightly. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, Right. Exactly. And then as he transforms, mm-hmm. Uh, into a new career in life, his world absolutely transforms with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the first scene with Joel at the office, you know, it's a it's mm-hmm. a, a suit of the times, certainly mm-hmm. how it looks. Mm-hmm. But then when Midge and Joel go to the gaslight with the black turtlenecks, <laughs> that's so perfect. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's really what was great about what I really enjoyed, and this was the New Yorker in me, uh, was the idea of really describing the difference at that point between uptown and downtown. Yeah. The difference was extremely radical. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's something I think people can't quite imagine that no. people from the Upper West Side or Upper East Side probably would never travel down uh, to the village. You know, um, I remember no. a little child going to the village and I had an aunt who was a sculptress. And I remember it, it seemed like I was in the craziest, wildest place in the world and everything was sort of a loft or, but in a very primitive way. And, and that was the West Village, you know? Yeah. So it's a place where people didn't cross neighborhoods as much as now the city is the city, you know? Uh, but that was sort of the challenge, like just introducing black. You know, I would always say to the, you know, 
customers will never use black except when we're downtown wow. you know, in the gaslight uh, because that was such a verboten color you know in the 50s in a way first use someone who wasn't an artist or a political activist or something like that yeah maybe at a funeral but otherwise and then at the gaslight of course we see susie's uh soon to be iconic look uh -huh. mm. um and the challenge there i guess is to to um articulate the several references of her being a man yeah right i mean it's sort of funny because again it's one of these things you just basically it's your instincts that leads you to the mm -hmm doing that. I had done a lot of, um, you know, research on early West Village clubs. And yes, I did do research on, um, you know, a lot of uh, lesbian clubs in the West Village. And then there was always this sort of question, is Susie a lesbian or is she not? Or what is her, you know, affiliation? And yep. it was always very vague. I mean, until recently, in a way, and even now, it's still vague. You still don't really know. Sure. Uh, so trying to sort of create that look, you know, the leather jacket, which was this very, you know, protective shell to me, you know, she was sort of a very insular character down there. And then that hat became, it's just amazing how those little pieces fell together. And somehow at the end of it, you had this iconic image right. of who she was, right. but it was very organic the way it came together. Really. It wasn't like, you know, I had this vision. It just was something that grew out of looking at a tremendous amount of um, early West Village and uh, club, you know, sort of uh, downtown clubs. Right. Which really. And the scene after the gaslight in the pilot is um, the bedroom, the bedtime ritual that Midge um, has to go through once her husband is asleep. Mm -hmm. but, but it begins, of course, with the perfect sleepwear. For uh, her. Yes. Well, that was a whole thing, you know, sort of, uh, you know, this sort of 1950s, you know, half princess, half fairy tale type of, um, you know, clothing that people slept in. You know, there's sort of like these floating, you know, pastel clouds and, you know, yeah. so much the uh, like idealized image of how a woman should look like, you know, when she goes to bed. And uh, some of those were real. That's one of the few things. Some were real. Some of them we built. The one, certainly the pilot, I had to build uh, because that had to be something that was rigged. Sure. To pull it down and come up. And um, yeah, but we came very like sort of uh, focused on this sort of the female sleepwear in the 50s. It's really its own special thing in a way. It really was. Uh, yeah. It really looks like party wear in a way, but it was clothing to sleep in, you know, it's, it's sort of funny, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, of course, the, the, the one she ends up in um, after her husband leaves uh -huh. uh, that she ends up staying in and, yes, and going, yeah. going down to the gaslight. Yeah. Yeah. That ha I see why that would have to be a little more functional in terms of the build. We did. Yeah. We, you know, again, you know, I barely knew anyone. This is, we're doing this. This is the pilot. Yeah, and then we had to do that rig, you know, for her to be able to pull it down and if it to pop up, uh, you know, it was yep. all sort of new territory for us. And <laughs> I just really barely knew Rachel. So, you know, 
then we were discussing, you know, pulling a nightgown down, pulling in it up. How right. are you do this? How do you feel comfortable or not comfortable? And you mm -hmm. know, um, so that that was, you know, all those initial things in the pilot that sort of set us up uh, for the rest of the seasons, really. Right. Yeah, and the coat she chooses mm -hmm. uh, to make the trip. Mm -hmm. Or is it the coat oh. that Su Susie brings her the next day when she bails, or later that night when she bails that, her? Well, it's still the same coat. Same coat, know? yeah. The yeah. same journey. I mean, the thing is, uh, you know, I always had this image, and I think I talk about it in the book, of her being in the rose-colored world. Yeah. You know, having this sort of ideal that uh, everything is perfect and everything is just beautiful and pretty and rose-colored. And so the pink coat, you know, was something I felt the pink you know, I made that choice, you know, and I, I, you know, told Amy, I think we've got to make it pink. That's sort of the whole pink journey here. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's sort of, you know, and, and actually finding the right pink became a big thing, uh, you know, uh, finding the right fabric. And then we dyed different samples because uh, I was really trying to not make it into a bubblegum pink, you know, and you know, just the right pink, you know. Um, yeah, of course. And, then, and I don't think I realized at the time how important this coat was going to be. I mean, it right. became, well, so iconic in a way, you know, for that initial image. Yeah. You know, and, um, and now it's at the Smithsonian. So. Yep. How about that? So that's exciting. That's probably <laughs> one of the more exciting, crazy things. Is that your first piece at the Smithsonian? Uh, yeah, I, I might be the last two, but it's still. <laughs> well, I don't want to assume. Okay. I, I cut off. Um, I do love the. Um, the like a dream little section here the flashbacks with when midge is blonde and they get engaged and mm -hmm. um and uh, uh, that sense of an even earlier time mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. um oh and the exercise in color yeah. oh the exercise outfits oh lord how much fun and this is obviously based on all the research you're doing of what women are wearing at the time. No, it is. I mean, I actually, um, you know, found these pictures of the exercise classes and yeah. it amused me because they were there practically in clothing and shorts. Sometimes yeah. they wear their heels, they'd have these little sweaters on. And then I also had showed, um, uh, you know, Amy, that picture of the bottle, how women were you know, catching the bottle between their feet and using it to exercise. Right. Um, and then, you, so I had this sort of image of, uh, which actually came from La Dorée, the French pastry shop, you know, of all of those macaroons and all those Ooh. pastel colors. Yeah. And I just thought, let's, let's do that, you know, and there's something about uh, making the women in all these beautiful pastel tones and uh, textures and um, sort of the ultimate sort of I mean, there weren't that many places, you know, people forget women weren't going to gyms. They weren't, no. uh, you know, there weren't spas where people were going and having, you know, except in very specialized situations, you know, massages and things. So this, you know, these early exercise classes were really a big deal, you know, yeah, uh, of for, course. for women or for anyone really, you know. And you break down the specific building of um, Zelda's dress and also the, a few other of her helpers for the uh, Passover mm -hmm. dinner, mm -hmm. the breaking of the fast. Um, well, yeah, yeah, it seemed that Zelda should be pink too, because 
we think of things generating from, you know, Rose and the mother. Right. So, you know, introducing that feeling of Zelda and that whole world of flowers and, uh, you know, the sort of pink pastel tones really came from the, the ideal in a way of her mother. And I mean, that's the world that Midge grew up in. That's what she sure. was talking. That's what, you know, so. Yeah. Um, oh, that, that <clears throat> black, that black dress with the pearls. Oh, that dress needs pearls. Rose says mm -hmm. that you quote in the book is just ridiculous. Um, it was funny because Amy knew that was the one thing she knew, even at the beginning when I was designing the pilot, she knew she wanted her in a black dress with pearls at the end. Yeah. She was like, this, this is the way it's got to end that, you know, I mean, of course, at that time, too, we didn't really even know if we were going to go move forward. Was the pilot going to move forward? Whatever. But it's amazing how what a very concise image she had of that world and that character. You know, it really is was incredible, actually. Well, Amy will tell you she knew. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And um the garment district. Oh, the garment district. Mm -hmm. uh, Your gets world. It, gets its own chapter. Yes. Yeah. And I, of course, was so very honored to be pictured in that uh, mm -hmm. Garmento's paradise. Mm -hmm. I said, Halter, that's a sweetheart. Yeah. Not, yeah. Uh, the quote, the quote there funny. from. <laughs> well, yeah. there, there was something about, you know, I always wanted Moish um, I, to be in like, in, especially in the beginning, these very light tone suits. Right. You know, and your initial suits were these sort of blends of wool, you know, wool and silk. It had to look a little bit special in a way, like you were, you yeah. know, in a garmental way, very conscious of everything you had, like the cufflinks and, you know, the tie clip and uh, all of those things, you know, and so... Um, that was always the search for your your suit fabrics actually throughout the show, you know, became tricky. I mean, it always took a lot of time to find your new suit. Right. Finding something that had that sort of luster, uh, you know, and that moist quality, you know, became a little bit of a Yeah, I remember the early conversations we had and and I think it was something you said about mm -hmm. He's he's dressing for his idea of what success looks like, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, which, no, exactly. which always speaks about the person. Uh -huh, mm -hmm. No, it's true. Yeah, I really couldn't see you in like a blue pinstripe suit. You know, mm -hmm. that, that just wouldn't have made sense in that world. You know, no. You know, so. And surely, what a pass! <laughs> absolute. Uh, her colors. And dresses throughout the series are just a wonderment mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because you've got the the youthful um, version in Midge mm -hmm. of what forward fashion at all times might look like. I think there was always a sense that mm -hmm. her and her mother had been shopping her whole life mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for what the next outfit is that she right. should be exactly. wearing. And then in, in Shirley, you've got Again, her idea of dressing for success, but also comfort. Mm -hmm. um, her sense of style. And humor. And humor. A great deal of humor in it. Yeah. I mean, Caroline, and, and I would always say, um, 
surely can never have enough. <laughs> never be enough jewelry. There can never be enough color. Never enough. Yes. So always, you know, whenever we would dress, you know, before going out, you know, we'd be, should we put this pin in this? And then, you know, it would be, well, you know, it's surely. I mean, there's, there's, there's just not enough. Yeah. You know, we, we, it just would grow. I mean, it's very much this image of Caroline as being larger than life. Yes. In a way. And, uh, you know, and, and such an important part uh, of the humor, you know, I mean, both of you really played an important part in, uh, you know, bringing the humor to the series, I think. Well, I would always tell her we were the comic relief within a comedy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's true. It's really yeah. True. I mean, Susie was constantly delivering the most hilarious zingers and one-liners. Mm -hmm. um, whereas these two were just such hilarious characters in mm -hmm. themselves, much of which they were not self-aware about. Mm -hmm. um, and then the clothes at work for B. Altman. Mm -hmm. A very specific look mm -hmm. when Midge takes the, the so-called day job. Because mm -hmm. um, now you've got Oh, just the looks in the when she's at the op in the operator's room taking calls, but then out on the floor, mm -hmm. and you've got the the outfits of the women shopping. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that must have been fun to research and. B. Altman was fantastic. I mean, first of all, you know, we created that beautiful store, mm. you know, in um, and sort of practically empty space, a very old nineteenth-century building in Williamsburg. And it was really beautiful. I mean, Bill Groom did a beautiful job at creating B. Altman. Um, and it really felt like the old B. Altman, because again, growing up as a child, I used to shop there. It mm -hmm. really is only about 10 years ago or so that B. Altman closed in New York City. Right. And um, it was, for me, the challenge was sort of coming up with a little bit of a uniform for right. the people on the floor. And I always say, what is my favorite color in a way, gray? But uh, so all those different tones of gray yes. and then introducing like graphic things like polka dots and stripes, like when Midge is below and she's, you know, um, down, you know, on the switchboard, there are lots of stripes. If you look carefully, you'll suddenly yep. notice that many people around her have stripes on or polka dots. So um, that was sort of, you know, a way to sort of for me to bring, I always sort of say a little bit of a circus like humor to it. Uh, because I began my career designing circus, actually, the Big Apple Circus. Oh, so my goodness. it's always at the edge of everything for me. You know, I sort of think in circus terms a little bit, actually. Wait, we need to put a pin in this book. So you started your career designing for the Big Apple Circus. Yes, yeah, I did. Well, I was, you know, um, at Yale. And yeah. uh, the director at that time, Paul Binder, called up, you know, Ming Cho Lee and said, who could you recommend you know, who would like uh, be able to work for the circus. He said, oh, I know the person. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. So just, you know, um, Rowan, wow. my partner, used to always say, you're really a diva to clowns. Because I actually ended up creating and designing a lot of clown costumes and creating sure. characters. And uh, so, I, yeah, my background really was, you know, in circus. And then I get involved with the circus in France, the Cirque d'Hiver, and travel there and see the circus with the Big Apple Circus. And it was a pretty big part of my life. I have a massive circus library, actually, wow. among other books, but I really, really got into it. What yeah. an extraordinary and auspicious start. 
Yeah. And also it's my love of Fellini. You know, well, I knew anything, you know, yeah. um, I used to, you know, as a kid go to the Elgin theater in New York and watch all the old Fellini films. So that, I mean, that's also another big part of the whole color world and the theatrical aspect to the work. And how excited were you when in, in the hi hiatus between season one and two, Amy says, we're going to Paris. Well, very excited uh, because I actually had said to her before season two, you know, they're saying things they were thinking of doing in Catskills. And I said to her, actually, can't we go to Paris? <laughs> it would be so great if we could go to Paris. And she just sort of looked at me and said, well, whatever. Then I got the call like two months later and she said, we're going to Paris. Wow. I didn't know so you planted was, the seed. I planted the seed. I couldn't believe it. Actually, she listened to me. I should have. I made me think I should have planted a few more seeds, uh -huh. uh, but, uh, it, you know, cause I also, I think I, you know, that I went to the Beaux-Arts in Paris, right? And I lived in Paris and an apartment there for about 10 years and stuff that I went back and forth. So for me, Paris is my second home yeah. and the idea of working in Paris, I can't think of anything you know, that I love more than that. And on a show, you know, starting season two, that mm -hmm. is already being so very, very celebrated and also mm -hmm. celebrated in mm -hmm. Europe, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, that's a big part of the extraordinary journey mm -hmm. for the show and for you, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. quite frankly, that we happen to be fortunate enough to be launched on this new, fairly new uh, streaming portal. Yes. And then the crazy advantages that mm -hmm. it's so instantly worldwide. No, it is. I really feel very lucky that somehow, you know, because I had done a lot of movies. Right. I had done some mini series. You know, I'd done John Adams. John Adams, yeah. But those were limited series. That's right. And I think this is technically the first, this was the first streaming thing I'd ever done. Right. And so, I mean, it was a great first thing. And um, in a way, it became incredibly lucky because then what followed and the pandemic and everything you realize that this is really a medium that is very accessible, much more accessible to a certain degree than even doing movies. I mean, I love doing movies, but it's amazing how you might do a movie and very few people will see it. Yeah. You know, so. Um, yeah, especially the world over. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, season four, according to our Michael Zegan, who's the only one who followed these numbers, mm -hmm. was getting something like 500 million views per week because we launched two episodes each week for four weeks. Wow. I yeah, didn't exactly. hear that. Oh my God. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, awesome. it does sound bananas compared to, you know, broadcasts or, or whatever numbers, but it's simply because you're talking about the world. Yes. Right. Viewing. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and we happen to be so very popular in the, the largest population or one of them uh, of india oh really oh yeah yeah well, in that. fact when we did wow. the pre press tour uh -huh. this last go around for season four mm -hmm. um you know it was on zoom because of covid and you would meet with journalists over zoom mm -hmm. from around the world and each country seemed to be represented mm -hmm. but understandably by one person mm -hmm. india had three 
different mm -hmm. different news and entertainment outlets that needed to speak with us. Mm -hmm. And they were by far the most beaming, enthusiastic wow. interviewers. Oh, that's very exciting. So I don't know if it's the Bollywood connection, you know, the visual of the mm -hmm. musical rhythm of the, the show as well. Rhythm, yeah. Mm -hmm. Your wardrobe. Um, mm -hmm. Certainly one could draw parallels mm -hmm. um, in terms of the magical nature of, mm -hmm. of, of the wardrobe. Of, anyways, so, so there you. Really happy yeah. to hear that because I've always, you know, in early design and whatever, I'm always very influenced. Uh, by Indian color and Indian design, you know, it's always, it's one of those, uh, you know, great influences, you know, culturally, just, to, you know, the visuals. That well, are they, the culture. they know. Okay, apparently. Yeah, good. Apparently yeah. they know. <laughs> I'm finding out all these things here. This yeah. This is incredible, actually. Um, and speaking of um, uh, going to the Catskills, oh, my goodness. <laughs> The summer in the mountains. Mm -hmm. um, after shortly after the joys of Paris, uh, we're going to the Catskills. Happens, mm -hmm. and um, talk a little bit about that because mm -hmm. you know these families really do, and and it's certainly seen with the Maisel bring so much luggage mm -hmm. because they need so much wardrobe. Mm -hmm. Uh, to show off for each other, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so impressive. Well, I think, you know, the Catskills was really an amazing phenomena because it really was a place where people escaped and really created a sort of magical fantasy world of their own. And uh, definitely the clothing and preparing for that and getting your wardrobe ready. And then, you know, even finding out as I did my research that they were always fashion shows, there were all these fashion shows that they were, you know, and um, fur shows and then makeup demonstrations. I mean, it really became like a total, you know, everyone talks about, you know, lifestyle looks now and, you know, goop and, you know, all of that sort of went in Paltrow world. That was sort of happening in the Catskills right. in a way. People were sharing makeup and clothing and all sorts of things, you know, and lifestyle in right. a way. And so it really was a great escape and relief for, you know, an urban person, you know, to go there and also for the great camaraderie mm -hmm. of families, you know, uh, which was so great is that families were generational and they knew people's children and, you know, got to see them grow up and be a part of their lives. I mean, that's something that really is missing, you know, but it, it really created a, a really amazing concept and idea of family in the right. world. You know, right. it's really incredible in a way, the Catskills. Yeah, and getting to see families grow up is certainly referenced in the uh, beauty contest for Midge, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the swimsuit competition, I guess, that mm -hmm. she, she's a little upset about not being able to compete in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I forget the number, but she won too many years, as it turns out. Yes. <laughs> right. But I see in here just pictures that the outfit Midge is wearing when playing ping pong, you yeah. know, the very simple versus the outfits when they go to get their hair done. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, in acting, it's always about making specific choice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
you have these great words on the page and how do you make your specific choices to make the most of them? And that is the celebration of your work mm. and, and beautifully laid out in the book. Mm. Um, one page after another, this Catskill stuff is just crazy. And there's Tony's jumper. <laughs> oh, what? Tell me about building Tony's jumper. Well, you know, that's another, I, I think the jumper is close to the pink coat in terms of being a phenomena. Yes. People talking to me about it. Um, I, I don't know why, you know, when, um, you know, I started doing research on athletic and uh, looks and, you know, I came across uh, Jack LaLanne. Yep. Which in a way was the only really exercise coach of that period in a way. And when I went to Amy and Dan, they were like, yes, that's exactly it. And so I, and what I loved about the fact, you know, now we have all these super sneakers with padding and, you know, jogging things and everything. And he had that sort of crazy, practically mime jumpsuit yeah. had yeah. on basically a ballet slipper. Yep. You know, and I love that minimalism of it. And there was something, you know, very, very fifties about it. So that was the prototype I used. And then in terms of the patterns and things, I a little bit took the from like 50 shirts, you know, the way things are divided in diagonals. And yes. Colors. So I combined that with it, but um, there was something, and I mean, there's no question. And the little belt, the perfect blue belt. Oh, the little belt, oh. that, that exact type of buckle. Yes. And I mean, of course the funny thing was, you know, when Tony went out on that dock, I mean, I, I mean, he didn't really rehearse that much. He just somehow animated yes. in an absolutely amazing, funny way, you know. And we right. did it sort of at dusk, and it was, it was, he was, that was very funny. That was one of those funny moments. And it's really made people love that uh, jumper, uh, actually. And many people have asked him, where can we buy that, you know? Oh, I'm uh, sure. You know, but it's, it, yeah, it could be a great exercise line, actually. Yeah. It could be funny. It was very funny. Actually. Oh, goodness. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember Susie's outfit, mm -hmm. the striped uh, workers. Mm -hmm. She looks like she just busted out of Sing Sing in this mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I, you know, I used it. They're very particular colors. Yeah. To all the people that worked uh, at the resort. And it was a little bit like um, I had used this image of Howard Johnson which was this sort of orange with this turquoise uh -huh. uh, and, you know, and then there were these stripe uniforms, which, uh, you know, basically uh, were jumpsuits in a way or, or work overalls. Uh, and, you know, that with, again, the plunger, yeah. oh. big thing, the plunger never imagined uh, nope. you know, became her sort of her look and then taking the cap and turning it backwards on her, you know? Yes. It was, um, how could she be completely inconspicuous? Right. Which is, you know, sneak in there. It was funny. How could you look so great and also blend in? And then on the opposite page is Shirley in three different outfits yeah, yeah. from her Catskills life. And you're right. Yeah. It's, it's a case of never too much. Yeah. Excess is a positive. Especially Polynesian night. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> the grass skirt. Uh, oh God! Yeah, the skirt and the grass skirt. Yep. The lays and how many lays? How many lays? It looks like there aren't enough lays because there's yeah, forty. Yeah. <laughs> you probably could have put another few there. That's true. Oh, and then I just love the musical number that Susie finds herself involved in. The outfits for that 
Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. The sort of Brazilian. Yes. Yeah, 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 exactly. But also the various countries are, are performed in this particular show that the mm -hmm. staff puts on for the. Mm -hmm. Well, that right. was a lot of fun, you know, and one of the themes there was actually stripes. I still have in the fitting room, a big board with, you know, about 200 pieces of various colored stripes. And uh, it was really about sort of colored stripes with colors and, um, you know, just trying to create this sort of amazing palette. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, exactly. There it yeah. is. Yeah, you were kind enough to share it in the book. I just wanted yeah. to hold it up. Yeah, yeah we still like, uh, you know, have it on the wall of the fitting room. Oh, really yeah, we really love it. Incredible inspiration. Mm -hmm. um, it came with a hat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love the little exchange you included, the couplet between Benjamin and Midge when Benjamin asks, your shoes match your purse. How did that happen? And she replies, witchcraft. <laughs> well, there was a lot of witchcraft in this actually series. <laughs> yes. About it. Magical witchcraft. Yeah, I'm definitely mm. into that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, just uh, Rufus Sewell as the, tr the troubled artist um, in his perfectly mm -hmm. slightly torn shoulder mm -hmm. of his shirt mm -hmm. yeah oh and then one of my favorites the uh, deli dressing for the mm -hmm. stage for the stage yeah mm -hmm. what do people wear when they go to a, a stage deli and it's it's remarkable mm -hmm. what what's interesting is the new york historical society yeah this year is doing a show it's just been in la and it's coming to new york uh on delis in delhi dressing and when it comes to new york we're actually going to have the waitress in one of midge's costumes at the historical society with this whole show that is about new york delis and the life and culture of new york delis well what an honor to yeah, be a so part of that it's going to be fun that's going to be fun actually yeah we're actually right in the midst of trying to set that up oh my goodness gracious mm -hmm. um yeah and then um, how many drawers? Uh, the road trips begin. Um, the road mode also includes Vegas glitz, but first the two of them go on the road where Midge mm -hmm. is, is quoted here. I even bought pink driving gloves. I brought them with me and then we find out she doesn't know how to drive. <laughs> but her outfits for the road trip and you know she's bringing Oh my God! Yeah, a caravan of yeah, caravan of clothing, always, always. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and then great fun with a, a chapter walking and talking on air, um, mm -hmm. all about nineteen mm fifties -hmm. television. Mm -hmm. Oh man. Yeah, it's such so much a radio world still in the fifties. Yeah. Right. You no, know, and. Uh, just, you know, like, uh, you know, researching those characters, of course, you know, we've done television also, and uh, just researching how formal people were when they went to work. Yeah. Sort of interesting, you know. And then in contrast, the rather casual look of a shy Baldwin in his trousers and open collar and sweater. 
Mm-hmm. Right? I, yeah, I uh, did a lot of research on Johnny Mathis. And that was who I used for Shy Baldwin. Oh, I think everyone used. Yeah, incredible character and is elegant, you know, that yeah. elegance, which is so wonderful. True elegance. Mm-hmm. Um, and perfectly executed. Mm-hmm. Red, white, pink, and blue. A lot of khaki for the USO show, the opening of season three. Well, uh, I was told we set a record for the most background extras, background performers. Mm-hmm. 980 there was other numbers bandied about but somehow we even surpassed game of thrones with the number of people we for that how do you dress 980 extras uh it's it's yeah it's pretty tricky i mean on the average we've done about 8000 extras per season 9000 absolutely no one does that do you know nope. i mean it just is a machine of fitting that goes on and on and on. And that's where the shop and the people working in the shop and you yeah. know, creating images that inspire them to keep them, you know, um, in a sense of period and what you, the color palette. I mean, it's, it's really quite, um, you know, an organized little machine. That, well, you know, clearly I had no idea it was eight or 9,000. I, I think we did about eight last season and nine the season before. And we're going to hit eight easily this season. There's no question about it. Right. Yeah. So you're saying 980 or whatever the number ended up being of these background performers went through the show. Yes, absolutely. And obviously every one of them is fitted. Yeah, everyone was fitted. Some had a few little bit less clothing. I called them the shadow warriors. And I did do my research on Game of Thrones and I was sort of like, you know, there were only 450 people in that battle. I don't understand why we need, you know, a thousand soldiers here. <laughs> right. He loves real. And it, it does create a certain wonderful atmosphere when you really have the people in the room. Well, that, uh, yeah, you know, that, that opening shot when the camera pulls back from the stage and shows <laughs> what ultimately will include two airplanes. Yes, yes. It's a beautiful <laughs> shot, actually. Yeah, yeah, really beautiful shot. And 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 just to know that you all did it authentically mm-hmm. is an achievement that sort of stays with you for life. I feel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. No, things like that do stay with you for life. I, I agree with you about that. It's just so unique. And then, road mode takes Rose to Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and it is such a look for Rose, the rambling Rose, as you call it. Mm-hmm. Um, returning home, her outfits there. Well, you know, Marin's a wonderful person to work with and very inspiring. She has natural poise. She looks absolutely beautiful in everything you design. But starting from season two, we really put a tremendous amount of effort into developing, uh, you know, a very sort of stylized, yeah. uh, special, a little bit bohemian mixture with the period in her clothing, it really became, um, you know, very, very enjoyable working with her and doing the, those clothes actually. Yeah, and by the time you get to her with uh, all the ladies at tea, that one big, beautiful oh, open space and all yes. those dresses and those hats, uh, all the hats, including hers. Uh-huh. My word. Yeah, you've got to tell me a little bit about this 
that. <laughs> well, it came from real research. I know it's hard to believe, but the whole thing about the tea room was about the hats. Yeah. And, uh, also the flowers, you know, I always really wanted you to feel, this is what I'd said to everyone, I want to feel like we're stepping into a garden and all of these women are the flowers in the garden, you know? So the hats and they're slight, and they're not exaggerated. They're all really come from research. Um, but that one hat, yeah, became sort of very special for Rose, that large green yeah. straw bonnet. The one that looks like a cake. It off, you know, which yeah. is that a lot of people couldn't have done that actually. Oh, she pulled it off beautifully, but it does look like a cake, a beautiful cake. Yes, they were all a little bit like cakes and pastries and flowers yeah. and, you know, yeah. really celebrating all of, you know, the women in that room and bonding together and, you know, and just celebrating each other, really, you know, it's very, really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I mentioned the road mode takes to the Vegas glitz. That must have been fun. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, the Vegas, there's no question about it. You know, I also trying to figure out how do you do Vegas and then do, uh, uh, you know, another sort of venue. But the thing about, um, you know, Vegas is that it really was a very, very glitzy world. Yeah, it really was, you know, where I sort of made a decision that everything should sort of shine and it's about sequins and beads. Um, and, you know, all about these sort of slot machines and the lighting and, you know, it but and making it distinctive. The thing that's always hard is making each scene distinctive. Right. So that when you go into that world, you feel like it's its own world, you know, and um, so, you know, Vegas had like a, all of the sort of beading and glitter and everything I use. I don't really use it anywhere else to that degree. It's something I really sort of saved for that scene. Right. Well, it, it, you're right. It is onto itself. Mm -hmm. And and the period nature of Vegas within those scenes mm -hmm. truly comes to life with, of course, Bill Groom's great work. Mm -hmm. But then those outfits, they just speak volumes. Mm -hmm. um, well, you know, it was a very important world. You know, it's when you have Rat Pack and Dean Martin and Sammy Davis and all these people. I mean, it was, you know, and then the mafia. Yeah. You know, it was pretty, you know. Intense. And the dancers have to walk through with the dice on the, on the yes. outfits. <laughs> Love those and, outfits. Yeah. And the headdresses. Uh -huh. The living dice, yeah. Oh, the living dice. <laughs> Um, and then we're Miami glam. Mm -hmm, mm. Oh, what a joy. Mm -hmm. Another such specific world onto itself. Yeah. Right? And that being the point, knowing that in that uh, series, I would have to do Las Vegas and do Miami. Yeah. And how do you make it different? You know, and there's a little bit in Miami. There's definitely a little bit of a Latin element that I brought into the clothing. Uh, and, you know, it was all about color and uh, you, a lot of things like these amazing beach ball costumes. You really only see them in background. Yeah. Uh, but it was really about the color versus the play on light. That was really what Las Vegas was about. Color, but really with the light element in it. Sure. And Miami is about color in the sun. In the sunlight. Two different forms of light, really. Yeah. 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 Yeah, the from the bathing suits to the dresses and the hats again, always the hats. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had a um, lot of fun with some of those hats. Yeah, even um, mm -hmm. her uh, Midge's bathing cap, this wonderful red flower 
number. Mm -hmm. It's just so perfect and lovely mm -hmm. and explodes on, on camera. Just mm -hmm. gorgeous. There's a nautical element to one of the outfits I see. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we were on the boat and the crew. Yeah, yeah. Sort of French stripe. Nautical. And that night out with Lenny, talk a little bit about the um, the building of that dress, the flower on the dark background. Yeah, that was, you know, I wanted that to be a very, very romantic dress because it's mm. such a romantic scene. Mm. You know, we begin in that club and that Latin club was so wonderful, the singers and the dancers. And it would have to go through the date, the romantic moment, and then we'd have to find her in the morning at the pool. Uh, so I, I, for me, this dress, the most important thing was that it was sexy and romantic, but not obvious. Wow. Just sort of very sort of uh, beautiful in a way. And, and we went into a fairly large pattern there. There's very pale pink pastel flowers um, and sheer shoulders that are very much like in ballet when you sort of create that type of shoulder made from netting, actually. So wow. it, was all, it was all about romanticism in every way. Yeah. Yeah, I just looked at the photo from the Latin club and the dancers in their right. tribal <laughs> tribal outfits. Right. Uh, and, little, it's funny that the imagery came from, you know, palm trees and strange reeds and, uh, yeah. you know, tropical weeds and things. I wanted it to really feel like there was a sort of um, very earthy, organic quality to the dancers. We did a lot of hand dyeing. Oh, wow. The, the leaves and the muslins, you know, so it was, you know, sort of really you feel like you're in a warm climate it's very much about the climate in that world yeah and the totem pole hats on a couple of the fellas yeah the multicolor totem pole yes, hat. Yeah, yeah absolutely and very tony cool. i'm looking at in his matching top and bottom for for mm -hmm. <laughs> swimming yes right just, just exceptional oh and rose too of course um and then we uh we have the class in sass on broadway for the strindberg play mm -hmm. the ill-advised so now you get to do costumes for a broadway play right <laughs> it's true yeah yeah and to do yeah and doing it with jane of course is so great you know, I mean, I- um, Statuesque. Yeah, exactly. I mean, certainly, you know, uh, when I went to school at Yale, this would be the only play you'd be doing plays like this, you know? So it was really a little bit like going back to that and, and got very sort of involved in sort of, you know, the use of the Swedish blue and white stripes and, uh, you know, then incorporated different variations of that into her dress. Um, right. You know. And and also Carrie Elwes. Oh uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. There's a military element. I did a lot of research on the butlers in you know of that period and in that world, yeah. and there there always is you know a little bit of a, I mean think about the Queen's funeral. There's always a little bit of a military aspect to all of the people who surround right. Um, you know the servants who basically surround. Uh, the people they're working for you know yeah mm -hmm. and his character just you know that 
that Broadway actor who's overdressed yes. for anything yeah, and everything exactly. <laughs> with the ascot and the, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, he was very funny. Yeah, it was really great. Mm -hmm. um, and then over the pink moon, the Apollo. Mm, mm, mm. Oh my, this dress with the stars in the sky, uh, right? That, well, that had to sort of be special. And it was a moment where I decided, you know, we had done so many black dresses that I thought we could go back to pink. Yeah. I wanted this really to sort of stand out as a very sort of uh, special moment in a way. And uh, so I did actually the, the dress and then did lots of colored variations on it. And in the end, you know, Amy and I talked about it. We said, no, we're, we're definitely going to go back to pink. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's hand beaded and it's satin and sparkling. And, you know, again, it's sort of a confection of fabric and, um, you know, and trims and um, really would be something very special that you'd remember. I mean, it's a very big stage. So really is that costume has to be, again, a little bit bigger than life. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then there would be, you know, the fact that, um, there's a little bit of humor to the fact that she's trying that hard and then uh, it turns out to not quite work out for her in a way. Mm. So. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, well, listen, folks, get yourself madly marvelous, the costumes of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Uh, I think they can buy it on Amazon. I oh, thinking. I have a feeling. Okay. <laughs> Get it where books are sold. Therefore, I'm talking about Amazon. Right. <laughs> um, yes, yes. And um, I want to set up the opportunity to, to have a little contest with listeners. So I'm going to get a couple copies and have you sign them, if that's okay, to give oh, away absolutely. to absolutely. a couple of listeners. Uh -huh. So let's please do that. Um, oh, I don't want to keep you anymore. Thank you so much, Donna, um, uh, for spending this time with me in the throes of the final uh, work of the final season. Um, I will see you uh, there soon. Very soon. Yeah. I believe uh, the table read mm -hmm. of, a, of a very certain yes, episode. Yes, very soon. Um, um, yeah. Well, uh, thank well, it's been great. It's really been great because it's actually very joyful for Good. me to talk about the show. Yeah. For me too. There were so many wonderful, uh, passionate moments for me artistically and in so many ways that uh, reliving it is really quite, you know, it's really very positive, joyful experience. So, so well, really the, I can, that's that. Thank you. And I'll tell you, the book is an expression of that joyful experience. It, it, it really is. It's the it, it, same feeling I had going through the book. Mm -hmm. um, you know, your joy of working and creating all of this beauty mm -hmm. is very, very evident. And, in, in and again, perfectly articulated in the book. Um, thank you so much. Great, good, good. I will see you soon. Absolutely. And, and all, all the best to Roman. I will. I'll say Please. And, okay. and congratulations on, on everything, honestly Great. and truly. Great. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Okay. So, yeah. So then, you know, it's like, it's, it's that. You, you, you see what I'm saying about the, the, the genius 
that these department heads each possess. I've talked about it in so many previous episodes. Donna is, is the shining example of, of just what a true savant uh, in, in an artistic endeavor is capable of on this show and others. Multi, multi Emmy Award and other award winning. Um, and just a lovely, wonderful person. Always sweet with a smile. And um, it really helps, you know, in our work environment. I, I can't speak positively enough about her, as anyone who ever worked on this show should most likely also. <laughs> we love, we love Donna. Um, well, thank you. Uh, let's get to the uh, to the mailbag. I mentioned that Donna uh, auto, uh, autographed one of her incredible books. If you want to know more about this book, you know, uh, Google her name and, and the book and and uh, look it up. And it, it, it is, if you like the show enough to listen to this podcast, you owe it to yourself to get a copy of this book because it, she goes through the seasons and through the many episodes and just shows many of the characters and what it was like to build uh, wardrobe for these people. It is an astonishing essay and historical uh, archive of the wardrobe of this show and, and her work putting this book together is truly uh, historical in my experience. So uh, get yourself a copy. And if you want to get a signed copy, um, write to me at my Mrs. at gmail.com and tell me which outfit from which character was your favorite and most importantly, why? You can record this in a minute or less and attach it to the email or just write to me. Either way, send it to my mrsmazapod at gmail.com. Yeah, let's uh, open up the mailbag, shall we? All right, today's mail comes from Jen, who wrote to me way back in May uh, of 2023. Jen wrote, I enjoyed every season of this show. Every actor was perfectly chosen for each role. If you had to choose one character that was best portrayed in this show, who would it be and why? Very tough question, but I have my favorites and I would like to know yours. I don't mean who was the best actor, I mean, who had the best character to portray? <laughs> Everyone did a phenomenal job. It is an impossible question. Uh, who was my favorite? Well, I've, I've spoken about uh, Tony Shalhoub owning me uh, in terms of working with him in a scene or watching him on the show. Um, in terms of a revelation, I would say that's Rachel and Alex. Um, and, uh, bringing their characters so brilliantly written to to life. And then there's Lou Kirby, who had an impossible assignment, playing an actual historical character, very, very well known in Lenny Bruce, um, and now has uh, Emmy Award, many Emmy nominations to, to uh, as proof in the pudding terms of appreciation for him he's just an extraordinary talent and that you know sits atop so so i can't choose how dare you no refuse caroline aaron as shirley Maisel? 
Come on. So this is a very personal taste question. You mentioned, Jen, in the email, you have your favorite. Well, you need to share it. Okay. Uh, let's close up the mailbag, and let's thank each and every one of you for, for tuning in and, of course, rating and reviewing and subscribing and telling everyone you've ever met and writing to us or recording a message question. And sending it to my Mrs. Maisonpot at gmail.com. Thank you all very much. Um, see you next episode in my dreams. Until then, please be kind to each other. Okay, closing credits time. My Mrs. Maisel Pod was created by me, your host, Kevin Pollack, research writer, producer, Jamie Fox, and our engineer, recording, post-production producer genius is Ken Plume. My Mrs. Maisel Pod is brought to you by the fine folks at Q-Code. Q-Code. Sounds like something, doesn't it? Oh, lastly, you should know... I'm told by legal to make this crystal clear that my Mrs. Maisel pod was not sanctioned in any way, shape, or form by Amazon Prime, nor the show's creators, Amy Sherman Palladino and Dan Palladino, although I feel the need to mention I did get their blessing. Okay, good. That should save me some legal. Everyone needs a break from the real world. That's why we played games as kids, and that's why we should play games as adults. I'm Troy Lavalley. And I'm Joe O'Brien. And back in 2015, we started a podcast called The Glass Cannon Podcast, a show made up of comedians and actors playing a fantasy role-playing game. And now is the perfect time to start listening because we just started a brand new story. It's basically Lord of the Rings meets Game of Thrones meets X-Files. Search for The Glass Cannon Podcast on your podcast app of choice. Hey, life is hard, so come play pretend with us.